all know that AIDS is a global epidemic, infecting millions around the world. And each one of those people has a personal story, an experience of health and heartache all their own. Today, we bring you an unconventional radio documentary about AIDS and some of those suffering from the disease, as we take you to the B-side. For the past three years, Joe Plotz has worked at a Seattle nonprofit organization providing services to people with AIDS and HIV. In that time, he's met more than a thousand people suffering from the disease, and many of them have shared their experiences with him, how they contracted the disease, how their lives have changed because of their HIV status, their triumphs, and their defeats. With their permission, Joe began recording some of these stories. I began to learn more about HIV, and I began to learn about it, and I began to learn about it, because they began to learn I'm out in Pioneer Square. Handing out needles, handing out cleaning syringes to people. I had two boxes of syringes. How I came by them, I don't know. I think it was, I was some program I was working with. But I was literally so high that I was giving out syringes, making sure that everybody used a safe needle. And the police, he came out of the bar and saw me, this commotion going on, and saw me and came over, and the police had me, and they, they had, took the boxes of switches away from me, you know, and, and I was trying to explain to them that, I'm sorry, you're not going to stop this unless you make sure that these people use clean syringes. I said, these people don't have the chance to do this. She had stole a couple of my syringes and rejected herself. I'm not going to die that way. There's no way. I'd rather go out and not call the court drug. That was my mentality. When I came out with ACT and everybody started dying. If anybody has ever injected drugs and is also a gay man, the rates of infection are on the order of uh, 40 to 50 percent. People were showing up in the AA meetings with tubes in their heads, so when I saw a lot of that, I didn't want to die that way. I've been in recovery, and that, I think, is another contributing factor to my um, continuing to be here. I relapsed. I had alcohol. When I had alcohol, I, I took cocaine. When I did cocaine, I was invincible. When I had alcohol, I took cocaine. When I did cocaine, I was invincible. I was doing sex for money to get drugs. I began to learn more about HIV, and I began to learn about addiction because there, um, it's like a two-headed monster in my life, addiction and HIV, and they both want to kill me. When I started doing that, that gave me like nightmares and night sweats over my drug addiction. The disease and the insanity of a, of a drug addict. I mean, today I, I may pick up and use tonight because my mind has this 
fantasy idea that I can get away with it one more time. I'm not gonna die that way. There's no way. I'd rather go out as an alcoholic or a drug addict. And that was my mentality because the, when they came out with AZT and everybody started dying. What a great poster. Oh, you know, sitting there in a hospital bed. Oh, I was too high. I forgot to use a condom. I'm dying now. I mean, let's get real. That's what it is. Babe, that's what it is. Being a drug addict, it was always either more or never not enough. And I always wanted an effect from a pill or an injection. And with HIV meds and doing this liver treatment, there's effects, but they're different effects. It's not the high, it's not the euphoria, the, the escape. It's more of the sickness, the, the cramps, the, uh, the side effects. We've been together for three years, so he's only been living with me for about a year. But for two of the years, he was still an, a very active drug user, and that was the time when I wasn't. So I think he sort of brought that back into my life. I sort of had a little animosity about that, but I know ultimately it was my choice to you know, partake in the use of drugs again. And rather than putting all the blame on him, I had to take some responsibility for that. But he would come over to my house at any given time, hour of the day or night. And one time when he came over, it was really late at night, and I think he was high or something. And, and we just started having sex, and it was unsafe, and it ultimately led to him being infected, which I kind of regret because sometimes I don't feel he's strong enough to deal with everything that this disease brings and what will happen to him if I'm gone. I don't have no money to give away. You understand what I'm saying? I'm barely staying up in this place myself. I'm behind in my bed right now. You understand what I'm saying? I can't wait till we get paid Friday. I've been playing catch up ever since I got in this apartment. <laughs> Knowing that this apartment is a vital part of my survival. You understand what I'm saying? While recognizing these people that I call myself trying to help, I can't even really help self, but at the same time I'm realizing that I'm blessed enough to have a place where I can recognize that you don't have no place to stay and that you need somewhere to get your mind together. I don't have no money to give away. I had a pretty stable life. I wasn't trying to deal with, be, you know, with being homeless. I lived in, a, in, in the van in the parking lot at the Kmart and the McDonald's. I don't have no money to give away. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I had a pretty stable life. I wasn't trying to deal with, be, you know, with being homeless. I'm behind in my van right now. You understand what I'm saying? So anyway, here I am, 20, 25 years old, and... I was living in the abandoned building.
living in Kent. Turn it around and living in a van. Um, I was married at the time. I was living outside of um, San Francisco, just right next to uh, Guerneville, which is a gay resort area where a lot of gays lived. People came to bought cabins from the city in Guerneville to expire. So there was like, because they thought it was like God's country. It was so green. And, I mean, it was, and if I was to pass on, that was where I wanted to pass on. Because it's so hard to see your child suffer from something you gave them. When Dory was two, well, when we found out she had HIV, what we did was we drew pictures, and that's how I introduced it to her. I said, this is the monster in your body. I've always been interested in learning. I mean, I wanted to learn everything there was about this virus that was in me. I would ask questions a lot. Of course, nowadays when I try and ask a question, people say, shut up, you're asking too many questions. Yeah, I, I would ask questions a lot, particularly to my mom. I don't know if my, if my mother knows it, but I have learned quite a bit. She has taught me to be courageous, to fight back if need be. Not with my fists, but with my mind, and maybe with my voice. I was in the hospital one time because I was extremely sick with cryptococcal meningitis. Extremely ill. It gives you a horrible, horrible headache, and it never goes away. And the only way you can get rid of it is if they give you spinal taps to release the pressure. And it's a fungus on the brain, basically. And on your spinal cord in the back right here. And, oh, it's painful. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't look at anybody. Even my closest friends I didn't talk to or look at. I didn't say anything. I didn't eat. I didn't drink. I didn't talk. I was numb totally from head to toe, inside and out, you know. And my mother, she was the one who rescued me. To me, to this very day, my mother is my, my number one heroine. She, she has pulled me out of the gutter so many times. She's going to make me cry. <laughs> she, anyways, uh, my mother had to shake me. She literally made me cuss and swear, you know, just to shake something up, to make me feel something. Because at the time, I wasn't feeling anything. When Dory gets sick, there, and she gets so far close to the edge, she just loses her wasting begins. You know, she loses her buffalo hump. You know, she doesn't eat. She has dreams and visions about seeing my mom and angels, and I see angels, and, you know, we're in the spirit all the time. We're praying and we're lifting and we're like we're, we're living on two dimensions at once in the physical and the spiritual and that's where we are at and people are sucked into that energy and so they go along with us on that journey and then she gets better because something happens so at one moment we're talking about death praying and asking for a miracle like the last time she had a seizure um, she was down to 74 pounds having seizures regularly this was like three months ago, not eating, wanting to go to God, and I'm ready to send her off. Okay, you know, she falls down in her room. We hear the clunk, go upstairs, and I'm just holding her, and she, she pees on herself while she's having the seizure. For 10 minutes, she's seizing, and, and 
I can't cry because if she is floating in the spirit, I don't want her to see me crying. So I just keep praying. And that's, and that's where we take people when she gets sick. And for a while there, it was just happening so regularly that um, finally my friend said to me one day, she said, you know, you guys, it's like you cry wolf. And I wanted to slap her. None of my friends that were there in the beginning in 85, 86, and 87, they're not here anymore. I'm possessing a memory that nobody else has. And that's cool, but in a way it's really hard. The universe has made me HIV positive for a reason. Why am I surviving all of this? I didn't do anything special. I just hope the people that come after me are as lucky as I am. And that's what I'm here for, is to make sure that that happens for other people. Yeah, I was in the car with three other women with AIDS, and we were on the way back from a memorial service from another woman who had just died, she just died of AIDS. And we were all thinking it, but it took a while before one of us said, so I wonder who's next. Listening to KALX 90.7 FM. Have something to say about what you've heard so far? Send us your comments, see photos of people profiled on today's show, and listen to past shows online at bside-radio.org. Listening to B-Side. I'm Mia Lobel, and now we continue with a documentary about the AIDS epidemic, produced by Joe Plotz. People still look, you know, at AIDS as a very stereotypical white gay male disease, and it surprises people when they meet somebody who doesn't fit that. Well, I first became aware of AIDS in the early 80s when it was, you know, something that was on the news, but I didn't think that it was something that affected me. I was concerned because it affected people I cared about, but it didn't seem like something I was going to personally worry about until I found out in 1986 that I was HIV positive. Um, and I was married. My husband's name was Bob, and he found out that he was positive after he donated blood, the blood bank. And that was the first time they screened the blood supply. And it was extremely isolating because I didn't know anybody else. I certainly didn't know any women with HIV, so I was really reluctant to tell anybody. And I was a teacher, 
So I thought this is not a piece of information I want to have out in the school, you know, to the parents and to the kids and to the other staff people. So I didn't tell people. But it got real frustrating to have to keep it a secret. My name is Tony Radovich. Sign on the dotted line. My name is Barry Ford. I am uh, 42 years old. Sign on the dotted line. Well, I first became aware of AIDS in the early 80s. It was you know, something that was on the news. It didn't seem like something I was going to personally worry about. Sign on the dotted Joe's doing an interview. He's looking to hear our experience, strength, and hope. This little microphone thing you got works out just fine. Joe's doing an interview. He's looking to hear our experience, strength, and hope. Yeah, I don't have any problem with you using my name, my face for this project that you're doing. Um, I'm open about my status. Um, I hope that it's able to touch somebody in their life in some kind of way. I'm so out is <laughs> so I don't have any problem. Oh yeah, you can take sure you can take photos, that's fine. I'm I'm photogenic. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You wouldn't be. Uh, my name is Charles Dalton, and I welcome you two into my home, and I hope this is the beginning of something good. The media really have lost their interest in AIDS. Many people, I think, think AIDS is slicked and a problem that's no longer a real serious consequence in our country. And it's frustrating to see how much people don't pay attention to AIDS anymore. You know, it's like, oh yeah, well, that was so 80s. Oh no, we have a different charity this year. There's <laughs> a hard sell. I think the reality is uh, that it's as bad or worse than it ever has been uh, in our country, and it's uh, certainly a lot worse in the, in the globe. 40 million people globally infected. Five million people got infected last year. Three million people died last year. What we're seeing at the global level is uh, increasing it's number of people. It's not just the U.S., uh, it's so everywhere. The pool of people infected with HIV is continuing to expand, and especially now that the uh, treatments have come along that are keeping people like myself from dying, our pool locally is expanding as well. We have more people living with HIV and AIDS in King County than we've ever had before. It's been going up about 5% a year since uh, about 1996. It's not just Seattle. It's not just the U.S. It's everywhere.
it can be very lonely being a long-time survivor. I mean, some of my family have dropped me. The loss of friends, partners, of people who were important to me in my life, it just devastated me emotionally, mentally. And there was a point, I think, like in 93, there were like two people dying in a, the same week, and it was just overwhelming. And at one point, I had a friend who committed suicide. I went into deep depression and I became uh, suicidal. It's scary just the impact that death has. It was difficult initially to become open to letting new people into my life, but as people left, um, it left a lot of vacancies. So, um, and those voids aren't always filled because nobody can replace the people who've touched my life. Nobody can, but they can touch my life in a different kind of when way. When you have a chronic illness, and I think especially like HIV, there's this undertow going on all the time in your life. And it's not really conscious. It's definitely this undertow of, will I get sick tomorrow? Or will one of my friends get sick? And in that undertow is a bit of depression going on all the time. It's always there. I'm always aware of it. I worked in HIV community for many years. This was a time when I saw a lot of boyfriends, partners, hightail it in the middle of somebody being sick. They just leave. They can't deal with it, so they just leave. That's how they deal with it. Well, I've lost my original friends. Most of my friends are all new within the last few years. My close friend, they never made it through the AIDS, the AIDS thing from the beginning. They just didn't seem to, didn't respond to AZT or anything, and they just deteriorated over a period of time. few years ago, one of the members of the HIV AIDS Planning Council uh, wanted us to uh, sort of uh, commemorate people who had died of AIDS, and so we got a list of people that we knew were dead of AIDS and sort of divided it up in the Planning Council in one meeting. We all decided to read some of the names and you know, just kind of remember uh, the early days of the epidemic. I decided to read my list of names, and I had at that point I think 60 names that I had taken care of people who had died. And, you know, as, as a provider, I always wanted to have a good relationship with patients, and so really my patients always became my friends. I lost at least 60 people, either as uh, patients uh, or as uh, people who were close friends of mine, uh, who weren't patients of mine. But uh, Because I was, for the first almost decade, I guess, of the epidemic, the main AIDS care provider, even people who weren't friends of mine ended up consulting with me at some point along the way frequently. They would name off about three or four names 
let out a dove. Name off like three or four more names, let out a dove. And these doves kept circling around the town as they were calling out these names. And about an hour later, you started seeing this black cloud, this shadow of got to be so many doves and so many losses. And it was really, really powerful. You could feel the presence of the, of the ones that are gone. To, to see that, to watch you know, on a crystal, crystal clear day, a blue sky, all of a sudden, you know, you read out how many people have died release that many doves. To me, that was just unbelievable. It was just something I'll never forget. I'll never forget that. It helped me realize how many we've lost by visualizing something like that instead of being told. The total of my medications for a month come to over $2,500. With all my HIV meds and medications that I was taking, I think it came up to $18,000 a month. It was just unbelievable. Tallied up. My basic medication would come to close to a million dollars. Daily blood tests, monthly blood tests, every six months, every quarter, different x-rays and other kinds of scans and lab tests. No idea what that costs, but it's over a million dollars. I think about people in third world countries who have no access to medications. I think about the pharmaceutical companies and the prices they're charging for some of these medications. It's appalling. Some of the numbers I've heard recently is four to five thousand people a day are dying on the continent of Africa. If there were four to 5,000 people dying every day in uh, the United States, they would declare uh, an emergency. You don't disclose everything the first time you see somebody, but people expect that with this information that you disclose it immediately. So I think that a lot of people with AIDS um, can be reluctant to start new relationships because of the fears of rejection. Yeah, there's no good time to date to mention you have AIDS. No good time. Because the, the other person will always think, gee, you should have told me before. And people don't spill all their guts on the very first, you know, the very first time you go out with somebody, you're having a cup of coffee. Do you sit there and have a cup of coffee? No, I'll have a double decaf latte. And I have HIV. You don't disclose everything the first time you see somebody, but people expect that with this information that you disclose it immediately. So I think that a lot of people with AIDS um, can be reluctant to start new relationships because of the fears of rejection. And making sure that that partner is knowledgeable enough to be able to be in a relationship where they know that there's a risk. risk. And because some people say, oh, it doesn't bother me. Okay. You know, and they're, they're just, you know, they're terrified. It's an important part of life. And if you, if I was a sexual person before AIDS, and I, and I continue to be a sexual person. It impacts. There's a fear about infecting a partner. And making sure that that partner is knowledgeable enough to be able to be in a relationship where they know that there's a risk. And because some people, people oh, it doesn't bother me. You know, and they're just, their knees are knocking. You know, they're terrified. People who 
I said, yeah, that thing with you, but not without one. Um, I began protecting myself and my partners. And that changed my behavior. I'm at a partner. documentary was produced by Joe Plotz. Joe's partner on this project is Daniel Weiser. You can find his photographs and more information about the people profiled in this piece on our website, bside-radio.org. That's the letter B-S-I-D-E-radio.org. That's all for this month's edition of B-Side. Our crew is Dave Gilson, Lissa Mudd, and Claudine Zapp. Tamara Keith is our senior producer. Our theme music was composed by Dave Kaufman. B-Side will return on April 14th with a show about sensations. I'm Mia Lobel. Thanks for listening.